morning I want to think we'll do a little bit about a subject that is very dear to our hearts and very needful. We live in a land of churches. Almost everybody is acquainted with a church or somebody that belongs to a church or denomination or some religious persuasion all over this land. So we're not ignorant of churches. We have statements like, go to the church of your choice and, and, or your synagogue or People say, I belong to this church, and my church is over here, and, and uh, you have your church, and I'll have mine. And, and someone said one time, if we don't go to church, we won't have any place to marry or bury us in our family. Church is a part of over 100 million people in our country. Just a part of it as well as any other part of the life. It's not necessarily a vital part. It's just something that they were brought up in. And I was looking through part of my Bible and uh, about the church, and there's a tremendous amount of scriptures concerning the church of God, and I want to talk about that this morning. First of all, in Zechariah 6 and 11, said, Then take silver and gold and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. Now this is a prophecy. And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne. And he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Who is the branch? The branch is Jesus. This is a prophecy concerning Jesus. And it says that he will build the temple. In Ephesians 2 and 19, Paul takes it up. And says concerning those people who were converted under his preaching at Ephesus. He wrote them a letter. And said, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The Old Testament prophet was talking about Christ building a temple. And he said, Jesus 
himself is the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Well, what could be holy? A, a, a brick building? A wooden building? <coughs> no, it would have to be people, wouldn't it? We are built together into an holy temple of the Lord in whom ye also, something else, are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So Jesus is building his church. It is likened to a temple, and God wants to dwell there. In fact, wherever the church is, where people are both saved and sanctified holy, God is dwelling there. Whether it's two or three together, or whether it's thousands together. He likens the church that we're talking about this morning to a holy temple. And God wants to dwell there and make his habitation there and live in our hearts through the Spirit. That's the design of God to do it. In fact, he talks again about a building in 1 Peter 2 and 1. song you take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll get to Scotland before you you ever hear that song I wonder if I could paraphrase it a little bit and say you go to your church and I'll go to mine and I'll get to heaven before you that's the philosophy of the world as far as the church goes that's the concept of the of the church world that we live in. All roads lead to Rome. You take your road and I'll take mine and we'll meet at Rome. But all roads, all churches do not lead to heaven. Rome may be like heaven or heaven like Rome, but not all roads are leading there. And there, if the Bible says anything at all, it says that God has a church and it is both inclusive and exclusive. It includes all the saved and it excludes all the unsaved. So in a congregation of people, you can have the church of God and you can have unsaved people. And that's all right because you want people to come in and hear the gospel. And so Peter says, wherefore, in 2, 1, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy, guile is deceit, lay aside all that, all that malice and deceit and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a, li a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious Ye also, as lively stones, or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Living stones in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and we offer up not the offerings that they did in the Old Testament, 
but sacrifices of praise and spiritual sacrifices that God will accept. God does not accept anything from religious professors, backsliders, or sinners. God doesn't accept any, any praise, any thanksgiving, any of those things as long as people are on the outside. God doesn't accept any of it. God wants to save people so that he can bring them in and make them a stone in this house and make them a priest in the house so that we might offer up spiritual sacrifices that God will accept. You remember the two people praying in the temple? The one said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He couldn't even look up to heaven. He beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the other one said, I thank thee, Lord, that I am not like other men, not like this fellow over here who uh, is uh, nothing in his sight. I do this, I do that, I do other things. And, it's, uh, and, and Jesus said, the first one went down to his house justified. One was proud of his duties and his accomplishments and looked down on the other fellow. And what happened? The other fellow who was contrite of heart and penitent and sorry for his sins went down to his house saved and the other one went over to his house the same. All he was doing was praying to the ceiling. Some people pray like that. Even when they come, now both of them were praying to God. God ignored the one and accepted the other. And sometimes that happens when people come down to an altar of prayer. If that prayer is not out of a deep sense of sorrow for sin, God isn't going to pay any attention to it. But if through a contrite heart and a broken heart and the fear of God and the disgust for their sinful life, a person prays to God and says, Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all anybody has to pray. That's all that fellow prayed. It's a very short prayer. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He needed God's mercy. He knew he was a sinner. He went to the right place in person and got forgiveness. And he wants us to be living stones. The church of God is both inclusive and exclusive. And that's just the way it's set up. We do not intend to look down on people that are unsaved and say that they are uh, dirty and rotten and all of those things and we are holier than thou that's not the idea the idea is that God has so designed this thing that people that are unclean can become clean and people that are clean are clean because he's cleaned us up and if we ever get to the place where we start looking on people as less than we are because we have been redeemed then we've lost it. But we have to stay with the facts of spiritual life that when people are unsaved, there's no fellowship with them. Our fellowship, the Bible says, is with the Father and with the Son and with each other. That's why it is exclusive. When you uh, belong to a country club, you pay thousands of dollars to join there and hundreds more to do other things that are involved in there. You have all the privileges of membership there and nobody else can come. Uh, people make jokes about the country club because they don't have the money to go there. Otherwise, if they had it, they'd join there too because that's kind of a high place to be. But in the church, well, we'll get into the privileges of it later. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and find out what constitutes 
membership in this church. Every church has a mode of membership and keeping, keeping books on those that are part of the church and they know how many members they are because people are regularly coming and they're on their books or one thing or another and they have some mode of membership or another. Well, God has a mode of membership and in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 he says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Now this isn't water baptism. This is a induction of people that are saved into the church of God. We are baptized. There's three baptisms spoken of in the in New Testament. This one when we are inducted into the church, the water baptism which symbolizes our experience of salvation, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost when God comes to live within our hearts. Those three baptisms are essential to our spiritual life. He says, by one spirit we are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. This oneness that the Bible talks about excludes multiplicities of churches because it continually speaks of one. So according to the Bible, God has only one church. Now this is offensive to people that belong to various denominations because it excludes them. And one good reasoning point is that Ask the person, does your church include all the saved? And of course, they'll have to answer no. There are some saved here and there and other places, they will say. And the reason they say this is because they want to feel like there are others in the same boat that they are. Well, you can tell them that the church of God includes all the saved. All the saved are in the church of God. If they can't say that about their church, then it is not God's church. Because God, by one spirit, has baptized everybody into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we've been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I don't want to read that. Let's go down to 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, one body, as it has pleased Him. The sovereignty of God in this matter is indisputable. The priest can usher you into the Catholic Church and the denominations can take you into them, but only God can set you into His church. And we are the first ones to know, for he said, his spirit will witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it pleases God to set the members in the body, in the church of God, as it pleases him. In John 3 and 3, St. John, Jesus was answering Nicodemus to his questions about Jesus and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
This is one of the ways I know in which people who are out in denominations are not saved. They can't see the kingdom. In fact, the many of them that claim to be saved think the kingdom's coming later on. They don't see it at all. They don't see it here now. They don't even, they're never going to see it later on because when they, they think the kingdom is coming, that's the end of the world. It's too late for them then. Except a man be born again, he cannot even see it, let alone enter into it. In John 1 and 12 and 13, 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you see, this birth is of God. We do not get inducted into this thing by some human being. Elmer Case, when we first met him, mentioned this one time in a message like this and said that he was waiting yet for somebody to ask him to join the Church of God because he had a ready answer for them. When, when he was going to, when they were going to start telling him to join, he was going to tell them a certain thing. But you know, nobody ever asked him to join. Nobody ever had any joining ceremonies. They didn't have any way or form or shape down on paper or otherwise to make them a member of the Church of God. Well, he found out a little later on that when he got saved, that's when he became a member. God automatically added him to the Church of God and he was a part of every other saved person throughout the whole world. And you can't have a broader view of the uh, vision of the church than that. There is no sect and no denomination and no religious organization that can make the claim that all saved people belong to it. Oh, I know the Catholics try to do that. And they think that the Protestants are all their wayward children and they got to come home to whatever pope is there at the time. And they're trying real hard to get together to make themselves one big church. But I don't think it will happen before Jesus comes because there's too many great obstacles facing the Catholics and the Protestants. And the major obstacle is the infallibility and leadership of the Pope. The, the Protestants, it's too ingrained in them to reject it for them ever to accept it. The Pope is, uh, is the head of the church. So we are born not of blood. Even if you're born into the family of saints and you grow up in it, it is still not of blood that you are saved. Not of relationship. Every child that's born to the saint's family still has to get saved someday. And every mother and father need to realize that, that just because their children are brought up around the light and in the church of God, they still reach a place where they commit sin because everybody has. But the thing is that children brought up among the saints do not go out into the world as badly. And they become more enlightened earlier in life and can get saved earlier in life than children who are not brought up among, uh, around the truth. And so maybe the transition doesn't seem so apparent. But nevertheless, they have to have the same experience everybody else does. 
So when your children reach the age of accountability, they're going to have to come to an altar of prayer and ask forgiveness and get saved. They may not have done real bad things, but they have sinned. And that will send them to hell. Ephesians 5 and 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He likens here Christ to being the head of the church as a man being the head of his wife. If that's reversed, there is trouble. If a woman asserts authority over her husband, that is, that is contrary to Scripture. If men take the place of Christ as ruling in a congregation or in the church, there's trouble. His trouble is with God. The woman's trouble is with her husband. Because it is contrary to God's word that a woman should rule over a man. The man should be the head of the wife. But that isn't what I'm really reading this for. I had to read what I did here in order to get the rest of it. But Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. That's why we talk about a second cleansing. We understand what the church is. It's composed of saved people. In order to be a member of the church, you have to be saved, and you're automatically added by Christ to his church. But he says that he might, he gave himself for the church, he loved it, and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it. The church still needs further cleansing. That's why we bring our chart up here, and that's why we talk the way we do on this. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, for what purpose? that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such things, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That concept of the church I have found in all of the years of studying is only in the church of God. I have not found it in among the Baptists, among the Pentecostals, among the Nazarenes, among the... the uh, uh, free Methodists, uh, other denominations that are close to what we preach, I have not found it among them, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So the design of God for His church is that Christ be the head and that after one is converted, He should be cleansed so that He might be holy and without blemish. This is a blemish on the heart. And he wants to take care of that. That's why he gave himself for it, that he might cleanse it and present to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It is different from all other churches. The church of God and its conduct, its message and its conduct is totally different from the churches of the world. You hear very little, if hardly anything, throughout the medias, throughout the big-time evangelists. <clears throat> you don't hear anything like that. Listen to Billy Graham over and over again. Listen to Jimmy Swaggart over and over again. And you will not hear what you're hearing in the Church of God 
and this is preached in every church of God, not just here. Every church of God in India, in Africa, in China, in all the places of the world where it is the true church of God, we're all speaking the same thing. <clears throat> if you could go there and find the saints there, you could have immediate fellowship with them and sit down and talk to them about all the doctrines that we preach, and they'd believe they're exactly the same thing. And their contact, conduct would be exactly the same. It was organized in 33 A.D., and sent out on its mission, according to Acts 2, 1 and 4. Salvation makes us a member, as it says in Acts 2, 47, that God added to the church. And as such as was being saved. And all of the saved of the earth belong to her. Therefore, we are belong to the most exclusive organism that exists on the face of the earth. If you want to travel this worldwide, you'll find saints of God and you'll have fellowship with them and they will be immediately part of you as you are part of them. You couldn't even do that throughout the world if the scientific community doesn't do it. The athletic community doesn't do it. They have a certain rapport with one another but when you meet other saints in other places, in other lands, you will have an immediate fellowship with them, which is totally different than any other kind of association that human beings have with one another. All the saved of the earth belong to her. And there are no sinners in her and no saints out of her. It speaks in the Old Testament about the church of God being like an army, terrible with banners. It speaks about it like it being a militant force. Not just a bunch of good people slapping each other on the back, congratulating, as someone said, each other on each other's sanctification. But it is a militant army pushing forward. It says the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. And that means as the army is marching along, it blasts open the gates. It's not sitting back there waiting for hell to overtake it. But it is going out into the world. And if we are not missionary-minded individually and collectively, then we're going to lose it. Because God has ordained that the church go out into the world, as he said in um, Mark 15, 16 and 15, Go ye into all the world, your world and mine and preach the gospel to every creature. You leave the decision with them. If they are foolish enough to continue in sin and take their chances along the way of life after hearing the gospel, it is on their head, not yours. But if you fail to, to warn them that there is a judgment to come, and along with warning them that there is a judgment to come, you tell them of all the blessings and benefits that are along with it. This is not a one-sided gospel. We need not make it one-sided. We need not continually harp about people saying they're going to hell and going to burn there and all that without telling them that they can be delivered from it and have all the blessings and inheritance that belongs to it. She is free from false doctrine and practice. There is no church of God congregation, however little or large that it is, has any false doctrine in it. Because with every false doctrine, there has to be a false and deceptive spirit to make those people believe it. Because intelligent people do not imbibe something that is plainly contrary to the Word of God without being deceived. 
And you see many people who are deceived into believing things that the Bible plainly teaches against as being absolutely true. In other words, some deceptive spirit makes them to believe that a lie is a truth and the truth is a lie. And that's the only way that can happen is for people to accept a deceptive spirit along with this false doctrine. She, the church of God is free from it. We either preach all the truth or we're not the church of God at all. Salvation brings all the saved together. We are not to let our brethren stay out there in the denominations. There are a lot of people preaching enough uh, message of salvation for people to get saved. But we are not to just sit back and say, well, they're saved. They can just stay over there. We are to find them and tell them they don't belong there. They are to come out of there and come in fellowship with the saints and have the freedom that we have in the church of God. Because as long as they're out there in what the Bible terms as Babylon and confusion, they're going to, to be put down and pressed down and oppressed by that spirit that's in that congregation. If they get saved, they should come out of that place and join themselves with the people of God. So they will have their freedom. It brings us all together in one and doesn't scatter us among the churches of the world. That's what makes the Church of God message unique as well. If we claim to be the one true church, then it follows necessarily that we must call all people out of everything else. And while we're making that claim, we should certainly, certainly walk that way. Because this is a high and holy calling, it is not too high. Some people try to make it so high that you can't hardly do anything, wear anything, or, or have anything uh, according to their traditions, otherwise you're out. It is not too high. If Christ made it possible, then it is possible that we may live this way. We have a quality of members in the church of God. There's no fair ICs and sad UCs. There's no big I's and little U's in the church of God. That's not the way it is. In Galatians 3 and 26 and 28, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, we're all equal. We have a quality in the church of God among men and women that, that even the movement, the women's movement, the liberation movement doesn't even know anything about. We have a quality, an equality that uh, the civil rights movement and all their, their desires to have their rights. We want our rights. They got their ministers going around uh, making political speeches and going around involving themselves in politics more than anything else. Civil rights and equal rights. We have equality in the church of God they don't know anything about. Male and female are both equal. There's equality of ministers, as it speaks of in Matthew 20 and 20, we won't, 20 to 28, but we won't get into that. And, of course, men and women I just quoted. What is the work of God's church? Do we have a work? Or just a fellowship? Are we just going to meet together and enjoy one another's presence and fellowship and company? Or do we have something to do in this church? Well, in Ephesians 5 and 14, he says, Wherefore, he saith, 
Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Wherefore he saith, or see then that ye walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise. Where redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. The care and perpetuation of the church is vital. We need to care for one another and perpetuate what we have now. But we didn't have what we have now until we went out first to evangelize, to tell people the difference between God's church and the rest, the difference between salvation and a profession of sinning religion. This is not taught anywhere but in the church of God. We give people an opportunity to see the difference between the absolute truth and partial truth and no truth. This is not done in all the denominations. They tolerate one another. And why do they tolerate one another? Because they're in the same ship. Then they do not tolerate the church of God. When we come to people and tell them their sect is nothing but a false Babylonian religious organization, do you think they're going to smile and say, well, that's all right? They certainly are. They're going to gnash their teeth at you and call you down and tell the rest about you too. Because it is the nature of the gospel to present the absolute truth and call people to make a decision for it <coughs> and about it, it's going to set us apart. We are separate and apart from all the religions of the world. We have nothing to do with them and by and by they'll have nothing to do with us. But our work is to evangelize both the religious and the irreligious. Our work is given to us by God to go out into this world that we live in and tell them that a Savior has come, that there is deliverance from the sin that so binds them and causes them pain and heartache, and that they might have an inheritance among the saints in light. And if we have an inheritance, we have an inheritance to all the blessings that God has promised to us. And why would people turn away all of those things is a mystery that we, you and I don't have an answer for. If we tell them that there is the blessing of salvation that delivers us from guilt, that the blessing of salvation not only delivers us from guilt, but brings us into association with the finest people that walk the face of the earth, but it also gives us deliverance from all of the sicknesses and afflictions that come upon us, for we have a promise of healing of the body. It, it gives us uh, blessings of protection against accidents and, and the evils that others would entail upon us. It gives us a promise of a healthy body and a healthy mind in this life, and it gives us a promise of an eternal home in heaven someday. What more? People can't even buy that. There's no amount of money in the world that can buy this thing. And so why would one turn it away? 
Jesus gave the answer in John. Somebody will have to help me find this. I am come a light into the world, but men love darkness. They love darkness because their deeds are evil. Where is that? Anybody find it? I can't. That's right. 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. This is why not, this is, Jesus didn't come the first time to condemn us. He's coming the second time to condemn all sinners. But the first time he came not to condemn us, but that the world through him might be saved. Who is the world? Every unsaved person is the world. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now believe here is not just a mental assent. To believe is absolutely believe that you're a sinner and Christ is the only one that can save you and act upon it. That's what believe means. Believe means to live by, to do something about it. And so... If a person doesn't do something about it, he is condemned already because he hasn't believed and acted upon it. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. The first time you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's light to you. And light, when it comes to you, brings along with it responsibility. A person can no longer be the same the rest of his life when he hears the gospel. You will never be the same again because you have heard it and you become responsible to it. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is the primary reason why people who reject your, your witness immediately, and that's the reason they do it immediately is because their deeds are evil and they like what they're doing and they don't want to quit. Now that's about what it, what it is and that's what Jesus said. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Everyone that does evil and likes to do evil, likes to drink and carouse and, and curse and swear and live, live free from all of restraint. People that like to live that way. They hate the light. Neither do they come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, manifest, that means made known, that they are wrought in God. So you see, a person that hates the gospel isn't going to have anything to do with it. But a person that feels the pangs of his own conscience and the own fact that he is not saved will come around where the gospel is preached and sometime or another will either decide to make it down to the altar and confess and forsake his sins once and for all and receive forgiveness or by and by will become discouraged and go on his way. For everyone that, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light. 
a sensible person, a person with his senses and reason, is going to think this thing through and realize, by the help of God, that the word is true and that it is going to happen, just as he said, and do something about it. We are saved to perpetuate the church and teach and cause people to grow in grace. And we are to evangelize the world. That's the purpose of the church in the world. And God has ordained to work through the church. That's the only way that God has ordained to work. By His Spirit and through the church. 